The scripture this morning comes from the book of Nehemiah, chapter 4, verses 1 through 14. Now when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry, greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he said, yes, what are they building? If a fox goes up on it, he will break down their wall. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight. For they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall. And all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There's too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome. And fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. This is the word of our Lord. Amen. You all may be seated. Again, uh, as it's already been said, happy Father's Day um, to all the fathers who are here this morning. So there are usually two camps of people uh, that are possibly in this room. Uh, and one of those camp of people is are those people who... Uh, they, they know that God's gonna provide for today. So they wait and they patiently wait and they trust that by the end of today, God will provide all I need for today. And then there's a second camp of people who take what God has already given and has gone ahead and done the work of planning ahead. Taking what God has given and say, I know that he's provided for me today, but I also know that he's provided for me tomorrow and for this long, and so I'm gonna go ahead and plan ahead with what he has already given to me. And I'm gonna act on it. I'm gonna go ahead and work for it. I'm gonna go ahead and prepare and do what I must. Usually we have those two different camps. And then maybe there's a third camp here who they, they wonder and maybe ask the question, how do I balance those two things? How do I balance trusting that God will provide but also acting with what he has already given to me. 
That's what I want to begin our time together this morning by looking at is asking this question, how do I balance trusting and action? And to make it a little more specific, how do I balance trusting and action for my family? Maybe you are sitting in here and you've had a child who has walked away and you've pondered this question, do I wait for God to move? Do I act? Do I try to influence? Maybe it is a spouse who is not walking with the Lord. And you've asked those same questions. What do I do here? How much do I wait and trust? And how much do I act with the burden that God has given me? If we look in the text of Nehemiah, I, I hope that we can get to some kind of a, hey, this is what we do. This is a way that we go about that. And as we do, as we jump into Nehemiah, I want to give you a little bit of background that will uh, help set up what we'll see before we end the passage. You see, Nehemiah is, Ezra and Nehemiah are uniquely placed in the Old Testament considering uh, the time chronologically of the Old Testament. Right after King Solomon reigned as king, in about 930 BC, the kingdom of Israel split into two. You had a northern kingdom, you had a southern kingdom, and they did not like each other at all. Nearly 200 years after that, a military powerhouse grew to prominence known as Assyria. Assyria came into the northern kingdom, and they took over, and they took the people of Israel captive. About 150 years after that, Babylon rose to power. Babylon moved in, defeated Assyria, and then they swept into the southern kingdom of Judah. And now all of God's people were being held captive. About 50 years after that occurred, Persia rose to prominence, defeating Babylon, and the king of Persia made a decree that all of God's people could go back to their homeland. And they did so in three waves, and Nehemiah was the third wave of people who went back to Jerusalem. Nehemiah was the cup bearer for the king at this time. And the king of Persia really, really liked Nehemiah. So when Nehemiah said, I am, I'm feeling called to go back home and help my people in Judah rebuild the walls, the king said, yes, you can go. Not only can you go, but the king set him up with rations and portions to be able to take back, to be able to rebuild the walls and the gates. Persia was actually helping give him what he needed to do so. And so Nehemiah went back. And when he did, the work on the walls of Jerusalem began. Now, as you've already heard it read this morning, not everybody in this region liked that. And we see truth, uh, three truths in scripture that we're gonna get at this morning. And the first one is this, God's enemies plot against God's people. God's enemies plot against God's people. Now, when Samballot heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged. 
And he jeered at the Jews. And he said, in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of heaps of rubbish and the burned ones at that? He's asking these questions. He thinks these are rhetorical questions and he jeers at the Jews. You see, the Judah at this time was in such a horrible shape financially that there were several Jews who sold themselves into slavery in order to make ends meet. And guess who benefited from that? The surrounding nations. So now that Nehemiah has come back, Nehemiah not only has come back, he brought financial stability to Jerusalem and he brought back materials from Persia to rebuild the wall. So now all the enemies of Jerusalem are like, no, 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 Persia has helped you and we don't like that. They don't like that. They don't like that they're receiving help and that they're going to strengthen their defenses. But even then, they still saw them as weak. In verse three, Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he said, yes, what they are building, if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. They're mocking the Jews. They're mocking them. Yeah, they're they're gonna build the wall, but it don't matter because... What they're gonna build, if a fox jumped on it, it would just fall down. They have no power. They have no military presence. They're being mocked because of their weakness. And Nehemiah, his response, which we'll get to in a minute, but it was to pray. Nehemiah stopped and he prayed and he kept building. But I wanna jump down to verses seven and eight real quick. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. So if you read that list of that group who was angry at them, that's a pretty heavy list of enemies. And they were angry that this was going forward. So they, they came together, they plotted together and they were gonna move forward together. The reality is that the enemies of God do not like the things of God. And we cannot be surprised when this happens. Let me give you an example. My son, uh, Christian, he is four years old and he doesn't like often what I tell him to do. Right? I mean, if you've ever parented a four-year-old, you know exactly what I'm thinking. His response will either come in just, I'm just gonna ignore you, or I'm gonna sit down on the ground in pure rebellion, or maybe he'll even start crying because he doesn't wanna do it. Even things like getting in the bathtub. And, and just yesterday, just yesterday, I was sitting at my desk doing schoolwork and he was so hyperactive. He would just run through the house. It's like he took a shot of adrenaline or something and was just running. And all of a sudden he had a book in his hand and he just throws it over like behind his back. I'm sitting at my desk. That thing just comes right by my head, almost knocks me completely out. I'm just kidding. It wasn't that big of a book. But he did that and I, and I caught on to him about, no, you have to pay attention, you can't, you can't do that. But here, here's my point. 
a four-year-old is gonna act like a four-year-old. And I cannot be surprised when my four-year-old acts like a four-year-old. And in the same way, when people who hate the things of God act like they hate the things of God, we should not be surprised by this. We see it all through scripture that this happens. Enemies of God usually plot against God's people. Even the psalmist says this in Psalm 71, for my enemies speak concerning me, those who watch for my life consult together. And I say, uh, and, and, and they say, God has forsaken him, pursue and seize him, for there is none to deliver him. The enemies of the psalmists are the same as the enemies of God's people here in Nehemiah. They're plotting together. They see the weakness. They think God has no more part of what's happening in Jerusalem and we're gonna move in and we're gonna attack together. We no longer get benefits off of their weakness and now that they're strengthening, we don't like that. Let's work together to move in. They're gonna plot against God's people. See, we live in a culture that is increasingly anti-God. This isn't news to you. It's not news to you. You can turn on the news at any point of the day and you'll find something new that is against God today. It's gonna keep moving in. It's gonna keep going. And if we are walking with God, then we will face opposition. If we are walking with God, then we will face opposition. And I'm not talking about political opposition. I'm talking about godly opposition. If we truly love the things of God, then we will be opposed by those who do not love the things of God. When we are walking with God in that way, Jesus promised himself that we would face this. And we will. So what do we do? And the second truth we see here in scripture, God's people must pray and prepare. God's people must pray and prepare. If we go back a couple verses to, to verse four, Nehemiah immediately after the mocking begins to pray, hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. And look at this prayer. If you, if you look at this prayer, it's, it's not a nice prayer, is it? No, 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 no. It's a very transparent prayer. It's what we would call an imprecatory prayer. God, bring punishment on my enemies. And the words despise and taunt are the same. So he's saying that means contempt. So we are being held in contempt and we want you to return their own contempt on their own heads. And then he says, I want you to give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Now, with the history lesson that I gave just a minute ago, where was Judah not too long ago? being held captive in Babylon. You know what Nehemiah is saying? The very punishment that you gave to us, give that to them. Give it to them. 
punish them the same way that us, your people, must have been punished. Nehemiah's initial reaction is to dive into prayer. He starts praying. And if you look in verse 9, after they find out that they're being plotted against, and we prayed to our God. And we prayed to our God. So then I want to ask you this real fast. Is prayer your first reaction? Is prayer your second reaction? Nehemiah prayed twice before he took any action here. He prayed twice before he took any action. And here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that we need to just be like Nehemiah. Nehemiah was the best, be like him. That's not what I'm saying at all. As a matter of fact, if we turn to Matthew chapter 26, we will find Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. And when he's in the garden, this was right after he just told his disciples what is about to go down. And he's gonna leave this garden in cuffs to be in Roman custody. And while he's in the garden, you know what he's doing? He's praying. And in Matthew's account, do you know how many times he prays? Twice. He prays twice. In in Matthew 26, 39, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And then again in verse 42, again, for the second time, he went away and prayed. My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Both Nehemiah's prayer and the prayer of Jesus, they're both extremely transparent, wouldn't you say? They are. You see, Nehemiah is saying, I want you to, I want you to remember their sin. I don't want you to forget their sin. I don't want their guilt to be covered up. And you know what Jesus was coming to say? I am going to drink from that cup so that your sins could be blotted out and your guilt could be covered up. Nehemiah says, I want you to pour your wrath on these enemies that we have. And Jesus says, if it is your will, Father, then I will take the wrath so that they don't have to face it. That's what Jesus was saying. You see, aren't you thankful that Jesus Christ himself prayed before he went to the cross? Jesus prayed before and he pressed toward the cross. Nehemiah prayed before and he prepared his people. So I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. Pray, pray, prepare. And then I want you to say it with me. I want us all to say it together here. Ready? One, two, three. Pray, pray, prepare. You see, here's what we often do. We prepare and we prepare. And then when we're sick and tired of preparing, we're like, we'll pray now. And we, we have to flip that. And here's why. Because what God can do for you is far better than what you can do for yourself. It wasn't until after he prayed even led the people in prayer that he began to take action. 
So he finally acts. If you jump down to verse 13. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Nehemiah finally acts and he prepares the people to begin protecting the wall. He stations them up in a way so 24-7 there is somebody protecting and there is somebody building. That is happening ongoing. And he gives an empowering speech to them. You know why? Because they had lost hope in verse 10. The strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. And by ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. So what does he do? He reminds them, remember, our God is great and awesome. That's what he is. Our God is great and awesome. Therefore, we should not lose hope in this. And then he says, to fight for your families. Fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. So often we can get caught up in worrying about the culture moving in. And yet we have moms and dads who will not open their own Bible in their home or pray aloud. You see, culture is gonna come in. As I said earlier, we're gonna face opposition. But what can truly do damage to our families is apathy. Spiritual apathy. Because when culture moves in, and your kids are revealed to the culture, it's gonna happen. Has their defenses been built up? Have the walls been built by us parents for when that time comes? And maybe you yourself your defenses need to be built back up. Maybe your fight is not with culture. Maybe yours is a spiritual battle with your own sin. Maybe it is your pride. That's where the battle has taken place. And you need to take time to dig into repentance and say, God, I'm sorry. To do this, it takes time, it takes energy, and it takes intentionality. And I've got three things for you to take that can help you get started on this road. And the first is this, begin praying alone. Begin praying alone. It was Jesus in Matthew chapter six who said, when you pray, don't pray uh, like these people on the street corners using eloquent words and lofty speech, but go home into your closet and pray where your father can hear you. Begin praying alone. The second thing is to ask God to prepare you and your family. Ask God 
to prepare you and your family. Reach out and say, God, you can do this far greater than I can. Prepare us for what lies ahead. Prepare us for what is going on right now. Get us ready for that. And then thirdly, to be in community with others. I know we say this and we often plug life groups from the stage and we don't just say this because it's something that we do. We say it because it works. You know how I know it works? Not only because I'm in a life group, but because if you look here in Nehemiah, chapter, verse 13, so in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall in open places, I stationed the people by their clans. It was families. It was families beside families, beside families, beside families, all coming together and say, we're gonna do this together. We're gonna build the walls together. We're going to guard the gates together. And as I look in this room of families who come from different spheres, are we willing to say, we're gonna come together and help build these walls? Are we gonna come together and say, we're gonna fight for this together? God's enemies plot against God's people. God's people must pray and prepare. And lastly, God protects his people. God protects his people. I'm gonna jump down to verse 15. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. And I jump down to verse 15 on purpose. Nehemiah is narrating this whole thing. He's narrating all of this. But who does he give the credit to in verse 15? When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. He gives all the credit to God here. Nehemiah could have said, you know, I made a plan of action. I set everybody up. I managed this project well. And we frustrated their plans because they heard that we had defenses. No, Nehemiah says it was God who frustrated their plan. God's sovereignty has been at work through this entire story. You see, it was God himself who punished Israel. It was God himself who raised up Assyria to move in. It was God himself who raised up the Babylonians to move in. It was God himself who raised up the Persians to move in and overcome the Babylonians. It was God himself who raised Nehemiah to become the cupbearer of the king. It was God himself who softened the heart of the king to allow Nehemiah to go back home. And it was God who got the, the note to Nehemiah that they were coming, that they had plotted against, and so that they could fortify their defenses. It was God this entire time. His sovereignty was on full display throughout this whole story. And guess what? His sovereignty is still on full display today. It is. God's sovereignty has been on full display through this whole entire story. When Judah was at their weakest, God was at his strongest. And aren't you thankful that we serve a God who's strong when we're weak? My son Christian, I mentioned earlier that he's four. When he was younger, he'll have no idea how many times I kept him from rolling off the couch. 
You'll have no idea how many times that he went under a table and I stuck my hand out above his head to protect his head from getting bumped as he was coming up out of the table. He will never know how many times that I protected him from something and I haven't protected him from everything. But he'll never know how many times those occur. I don't even know. I just do them naturally because he's my son and I'm his dad. And in the same vein, we will never know how many times God the Father has put his hand around us when we weren't paying attention or he has shielded us when we weren't shielding our own eyes. You know why he does that? Because he's our father. And if you're here and you are in Christ, you are his child. And so he does this. God is our refuge in trouble. He is our fortress when we can't stand. He is peace in the storm and he is our salvation when we are deep in sin. Romans 5, 8 says, but God shows his love for us that in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, it wasn't once we were cleaned off, Christ died for us. It wasn't once we built up the walls back, then he died for us. No, it was when we were knocking on hell's door that he died for us. This is our father sending his son, Jesus. God protects his people. Now, I want to say all this. this. This third truth is not just something that you can take with more information. No, 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 no. The reason that I say this is because we need to give the proper glory to God where it is due. We cannot withstand opposition because we are just thick-skinned and tough. No, you can withstand because of the power of God. You can withstand because of the Holy Spirit which lives inside you. And you can withstand because Jesus' victory over our enemies. The enemies of sin, Satan, death. So we give God the glory where it is do. Enemies of God plot against God's people and we cannot be surprised when this happens. It will happen. It is happening. It's happened from in all of this too. It happens. But what is the pattern that we see? Pray, pray, prepare. Say it again with me. Pray, pray, prepare. Now here's what I want you to do. If you have a pen, you have something to write on, I want you to take just a moment and I will be quiet. But I want you to think of a situation in your family right now that you have spent so much energy trying to fix yourself, trying to move in, do things yourself, have conversations yourself, uh, work on things yourself, whatever that may be, but you have taken little time to pray to God. I want you to think about what that situation is and I want you to write it down. And after you write it down, I want you to stop where you are and I want you to pray about that thing, that situation 
right now. And I'm going to give us just a couple minutes to do that. I'll be up here and I'll be quiet and then I will pray us out. Father, we come to you and we want to lift up all of these situations. All the ones that have been written down and even the ones that weren't written down but, but are still true. We want to lift them up to you. Father, for so long we, we've, we've held a grip on these situations and we are just turning our hands over and releasing them into yours. God, I'm so thankful for the burden that you've placed in us for these different situations. And Lord, I pray that for everyone in this room that they would stay immersed in prayer And Father, as I give you mine, I'm okay if you fix this differently than I would have. If you settle this differently than I would. And Father, if it is not your will for this to happen, I pray that you prepare my heart. And I pray the same over my brothers and sisters here. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone who is coming here this morning and they don't know Jesus, 